Hey design thinkers, welcome to another episode of the show. I am your host Simon Hong and I am super excited to share an inspiring conversation with Chuck Rice covering all things UX design and his role as a tech lead, sharing his experience and expertise. So without further ado, let's go. Chuck is a technical lead at Residently. He is a systematic thinker, designer and technologist wanting to grow the design system community using his past experience as a UX designer and software engineer, helping with design, code and adopt efficient design system practices. He is the end-to-end design system expert with over seven years in the tech industry from startups to enterprise. Chuck is also a certified design sprint facilitator, a published author of Figma Prototyping on UX Collective. Hey Chuck, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here today uh, to talk about UX design and on your role as a tech lead. How's it going? Yeah, it's going all right, thanks. Um, you, you've been out drinking last night. Oh yeah, it was your um, work due, right? Yeah, it was a work due yesterday. Nice, tell, tell us about it. How was it? Yeah, it was good. Like, uh, it was very much like, actually, everybody here is like a good person. We had a lot of the London team come up as well. Oh, uh, so that was really nice uh, that everyone was pretty much together. That's good. Was it the first time seeing a few faces? Yeah, there were a few people I hadn't seen before. Uh, so I could see them in person. But there's a lot of people I'd already seen quite regularly uh, from the other product conferences um, that we do. So yeah. that was quite nice that okay, we've already spent a bit of time together doing some work and now we're just you know, having, you know, hanging out, having drinks. Um, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, yeah. had a, a very uh, busy long day um, today at work, so there's quite a lot to, to work on. But, I mean, it, it's all good, it's all good. I'm really excited uh, for this episode. Um, first of all, hats off to you, as there aren't many people I know who can transition into an engineer or a designer role at a high level. You were in a head of uh, design role and now you're in a, a leading tech role, which is amazing to to possess those two sets of skills. Is it difficult to transition to and from in terms of design to code? Mm, it's a good question. I'd say it depends on the place and it depends on kind of the, the expectations of the role and like the responsibilities that you have. I guess stack-wise, I think like with UX, once you've got like your set of skills, you don't really, I mean, sure, like, I mean, right now you go into Figma, you would use that, but then a lot of the stuff you would use, you would use your, your thinking, you just write down notes, you would do sketching. A lot of it is, is stuff that actually you can use a variety of different tools to do the same job. Transitioning into tech uh, and doing the engineering side, that's quite difficult, and that's because... It, it stuff changes so quickly the landscape changes so quickly in terms of what you expect and if you're if you're part of the team and being as a dev you're fine because uh, someone else can help set the direction uh, depend on the team as well make sure you've got strong people around you um, if you're trying to lead things and lead technically that could be quite challenging as well if the expectation of the role is to say okay these are the tools that we're going to need this is the uh, the stack we're going to use and if you haven't used the language before or if it's not your your main language that can present some challenges as well uh yeah yeah quite challenging for a number of different reasons i would say yeah that's understandable and really insightful you started your career off as a developer how did you transition into ux and why mm, yeah so that's a very good question um 
I think a few people think about it. I think for me, I think I've always ever thought about the person, the other, the person on the other side. Whenever I've dabbled in anything technology, because I used to do stuff when I was younger with um, flash animations and making like uh, silly video games and. And the way I always structure it is that someone's going to use it at the end of the day. I remember one of the, the first coding tests that I did, it was a simple FizzBuzz calculator. And I was in my head, I'm thinking, okay, someone might put in characters, someone might put in a negative number. So what I'm going to do is provide some guards to 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 give some feedback to the user to say, actually, you've, you've put in something wrong. I need you to put in you know, positive integers. I can't use a... Uh, a float, a double, I can't use uh, a string. Uh, so every time I've kind of done stuff, I've always thought about someone's going to use at the end of the day. And I'm mm. very conscious about that, whether that's you know, all the way from when I was a kid to when I was doing my degrees. So I did computer science and I thought, okay, I finished that. So uh, someone's still going to use it. That's why I did the master's in HCI and uh, transitioning from a developer to a designer um there was an opportunity to just do that yeah so moving from doing the actual move from engineering into design it wasn't really intentional uh some people might call it uh you may have heard of it like an intrapreneur and kind of trying to do something really quite different from the inside the business i was at uh, was enterprise software consulting and there's a small part where we would were one of the uh non-exec directors really wanted to work with startups and really work with local startups in the Manchester area. Uh, so when the business got acquired and that part of the business split off, the, the non-exec director really wanted to take that forward. And and he knew that product thinking and UX thinking uh, is, re- is really quite crucial to, to make that happen. So what better way than somebody that you already know and trust and has a, a really strong interest in that to step into that role uh, and take that forward. Yeah, that's awesome. I like how you've said the the opportunity came through and having that trust from the stakeholders that that got you into what you're doing now. Definitely insightful. Since moving back into the coding world as a tech lead, why you started to to go back into code? Uh, So that's a really good question. And I think a lot of that is down to my interest in design systems. So we all know that if you haven't heard of a design system before, it's a thing that you know, designers, uh, engineers, and, and other people in a business can use to create software that's consistent, uses the, the same patterns, and and makes use of any accessibility trade-offs, uh, all that kind of stuff, and gives you unified design language to work with that you know works and, and works together uh, with other pieces when you stitch it. Uh, I was really interested to look at the other side and say, okay, you know, I've done the design thing for a number of years. I, I feel like I've really quite got a really good hold of it. Uh, if I want to piece together a design system, uh, really, I want to see how things look from the other side. So I wasn't really looking for a, a technical role uh, at the time, but the recruiter I was working with said, hey, actually, like, th- this, there's this role where we need a, a, a tech lead engineer who has a UX uh, understanding. Um, but because of how um, high quality, the, the coding I was doing before is really, I still th- think, you know, we, we always had a joke, everything we do is gold plated. Some of it was just overkill. So it was really hard to adjust after that and get used to what really the market is like. Um, so they ended up hiring 
me as a as a designer with a technical background uh so the other way around but i feel like that played played out really well what a way to to get hired from a ux background and and an engineering background how does that compare to ux design like uh, as a full-time role i'd say to quite quite a big extent yeah because with you know the role i'm doing now it's very much very very much acts as a bridge so like the the day-to-day of of being an engineer like like my role looks a little bit different uh, sitting in in a lead position as i you know my goal is for the team to succeed to make sure they have what they need to make sure the tools the processes are in place to make sure things roll forward make sure people get the appropriate feedback and make sure that people can skill up as well and become um high class engineers in their own right and at the same time even though it's not my responsibility to look after designers i still like to get involved and and really feed that back as well with any anything that i can help with uh, and especially when it comes to um, we all know there's you know the whole thing about designer ratios is like one designer for every 10 engineers so any help you can get to help keep things consistent to point things out or or to add into that uh, i add where i can but i try and make sure that i'm only there to either support or to mentor or to point out things that potentially only i can point out um but let the designer own the role to own the decision and to to own those processes um because it's really important not to you know to work together and collaborate but not to uh trample all over someone else's work for example or their quote unquote territory um i think it's really important to have you know clear definitions but still collaborate on the the total output and the total aggregate yeah absolutely can imagine how how busy you are uh, in your day-to-day role with getting pulled left right and center from engineering point of view but and design and I can imagine how much um, you're helping within the, the design team as well. What do you do outside of work then? Oh, so that's changed a lot over, like, especially over COVID, as it may have done for, for most people. Um, in my free time, what do I do now? I think what I really want to do over, like, the Christmas period is, is do a little bit more dancing. So I do salsa and bachata dancing, and I never finish my beginner's course. So what I want to do is there are these Friday classes that focus on technique and I can hopefully pick up the the extra moves here and there. There's only a few extra ones, but technique, I want to get those down and become a better dancer. But we're thinking about uh, committing myself to an intermediate course to do improvers. I guess other than that, it's going to be, yeah, stuff around home improvement, uh, cooking and eating nice food. I miss traveling, but obviously I haven't been able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um so I try and make do with thinking about local trips around the UK or or, or taking my dog for a walk and, and going somewhere nice, uh, some nice scenery before the weather got, uh, yeah. went, uh, I was going to say shit, went through the shit. <laughs> yeah, went sideways. Yeah. That's really productive. Like you said, stepping out of work and doing the things that you enjoy balances work and life, right? And. I was actually going to ask you, are you a professional salsa dancer? But I'm sure you'll you'll get to that point in no time. Yeah, uh, you could do it like for ages. I think it's more of a hobby. Only ever will be. But it's good fun. Still good fun. Cool. What are some of your favorite examples of good UX at the moment? Ooh, so that's a good question. What's an example of good UX? 
I think like for me, what I really like pay attention to is I try not to <clears throat> do too many new things and use many new services. I really like to to pick tools and services and things that just help me um, get around my day. And I try to keep it minimal. So there are things like what's a good example? Uh, oh, actually, so this is a th this is a recent one. I only noticed it uh, a little while ago. So most people that uh, in the work environment will have used or know about Slack. And when you post a, an image in Slack, what used to happen was you could open the image and preview it, but then you'd have to close it again to get the context of uh, the thread of the conversation. And, and that was quite frustrating. I was definitely finding myself not bothered enough to give any feedback, etc. But it did bother me that I, not I noticed it and it was quite frustrating. Uh, what they did recently is that when you open up uh, an image, if that's an image within the context of a thread, <clears throat> it'll open up the, the threaded conversation alongside the image. So if there's a diagram in the image, you can always refer to that whilst seeing the context of the discussion and, and send messages at the same time. So that's a really good, I think that's a really good example because cool. it's really looking at like these, these little micro interactions, these little things that you would do day to day. And if you're, you're working on things like a tool like Slack, you might think, oh, it's, it's just a chat app. There's not much to do. But here it's like really quite a specific use case. It's a, it's a really common thing that how do you get that feedback? How do you figure that out? So it's really understanding the context of how people are using the tool, really understanding what people want to do in those moments. And they made that adjustment to give the facility to people to write messages and, and see the conversation and see the image at the same time. It's such a small thing, but that's a really good example where you're really thinking about what somebody needs in that moment. Cool. That's really interesting. Do you use Slack day in and day out? Yeah, I, I rely on Slack a lot. Slack is pretty much... Um, I mean, people use Slack a lot, but I didn't realize... Um, sitting in a lead position, how much you actually kind of depend on it, especially when your workplace is, is already quite collaborative. So when mm -hmm. you're in a more distributed setup, it's just slack day in, day out, just arranging things, setting when it, you know, is this meeting happening? Is there a problem? Uh, I use it a lot. So that's probably why um, that's the best example I can think of. Uh, really, yeah. like a good example. Yeah, I think it is. Could you uh, name a website or an app that annoys you? The thing for me is the Medium app. So, like, okay. in the, uh, I do a lot of writing around, like, Figma prototyping, and I try and, you know, contribute that back to the community because I think I'm so interested in, in really getting the most out of Figma. And I really wanted to write in the app, so, you know, downloading it on, you know, my phone, and then I got an iPad as well. And I thought, okay, I can use an iPad with a keyboard and, you know, use the app and, and try and use it that way. But the experience was was just shocking. It's quite disjointed. The keyboard doesn't work quite well. Uh, the, the web experience is 100 times better than the app, uh, which, is, which is crazy when you think about it. Yeah. Um, the things that I'd want to do that I'm very used to doing on the web app, they were really difficult, cumbersome, and behaved differently on on the mobile on the mobile app and it didn't feel that i was limited because of the nature of it being on an app it wasn't like oh 
you're on a mobile phone, so you only get these options that will simplify it. The the medium writing experience is actually really quite good and really quite slick and you know, it makes it feel quite minimal so you can focus on writing. So for me it was quite surprising opening it up and trying to to use that um to seriously write a blog post that how how finicky it felt. I think it's improved uh over this year. I've seen they've done quite a lot of updates to it. Uh but I remember a year ago it was it was just horrendous. Right, yeah, that's really interesting to know. Yeah, I can imagine uh, how difficult it is to try and use the app on the phone compared to the web. Mm. So um, could you tell us a bit about the company you work for? Uh, yeah, so the company I work for is Resident Leap. Um, they're on a really good trajectory, I think, really good um, path forward, just in terms of where things are at, all the foundational changes put in place. So really the app is all about and it's not just an app, it's an experience, it's a whole platform. Uh, I'm really looking at turning the, the rental industry upside down. Uh, I think the easiest way to explain it is we all know renting is, you know, it's anxiety ridden, it's difficult, it's, it's annoying, it's frustrating. Uh, there's no benefit to sticking with an agent. If you, if you rent a property and say, oh, I want to rent a different property from the same person, you're going to go through all of the affordability checks, the background checks, and you have to go through this whole process. You have to give your details three times. And once you move in, that's it. You never hear from them unless there's a problem. Uh, and and really, this it hasn't changed in a really long time. So really what Residently is, is, is doing is actually achieving now and is looking to, to, to scale that up and take it forward uh, even more so is to, to own that end-to-end -end experience and really provide you that relationship and, and, and just make everything feel easy, make it feel customized for you, make it feel like we're really here uh, for you through the renting process and we don't forget you. If somebody you know, gives you a gift, we remember that somebody gave us a gift. So in the, in the same way, uh, if someone's already done the affordability checks, we know that you can afford the rent at place X. So why should we check you again at place Y unless your circumstances have changed? Yeah, I think it's quite an interesting company. Is it a startup? Yeah, it's a startup. Um, been going about four or five years now. Um, I think last night I figured out it was around, well, I don't think about it too much. But I think the headcount's around <laughs> like 60 or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Nice. I think we touched up on this previously. So regards to, you know, helping out the design team, is there quite a bit of involvement around that? Mm, I think the best way to say it is there's, there is involvement, but there's no expectations. A lot of that I do okay. out of, uh, because I think it's the right thing to do. Because I know that if we take care of this, this thing, if we look after, um, this part of building the product of building the experience of of really getting involved in, in that nitty-gritty piece all of those micro decisions and all of those micro optimizations that we do the conversations we have they're going to add up into the experience that the residencies that the the person on the other end um gets to see and gets to experience so i think uh there's not yeah, there's no like set way to get involved, but literally I just keep my eyes out uh, and ears open uh, for when I can add value or I can 
provide a process where I can point out, hey, actually, we could, this would be so much easier if we did so and so. Or actually, we missed something here, and this will make our lives more difficult. So if we, if we rethink it and turn it on its head, actually, we can either deliver this sooner or, you know, this would feel so much nicer um, for the people using it. And you've mentioned before about a passion with design systems. Do you help out from that side of things as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think like uh, if you look at it from the beginning, I think both sides here at Residently were uh, had independent efforts, I would say, but it wasn't really quite joined up in terms of we had some uh, variables, which, you know, now now everybody is educated and knows these are design tokens. And we know that there's a whole set of things that we can define. So, you know, those existed in the mobile code base, but the designers didn't know that those existed, that we were trying to, to meet those. So some audits have been done in terms of how many styles do we use in the app and how does it all fit together, but really kind of setting those standards or joining those up wasn't really done. So I've done a lot of work over the past year to make sure that everybody's aware of them, uh, writing a lot of the... Uh, the groundwork myself in in the mobile app and and this uh, this other greenfield project um, that I was working on uh, as well, putting all of those things together and and getting the team involved and and uh, contributing to that effort. Yeah, it's brilliant. It just shows how what you can do with those uh, two sets of skills on a high level. Really, the design system is um, a beast to look after or to start working with, and helping out with that is going to be so much more beneficial to the team. How do projects usually come in for you? So in what sort of format? Yeah, so that's an interesting one. Um, usually just a message or an email. We're going to do this. Or uh, I think it really depends. Sometimes like I know in like in, in previous roles or in, you know, either whether it's uh, consulting or like in um, at the, the bank I was working at where it's a little bit more, uh, say, siloed. So like I wasn't really embedded into any one of the teams the way that I am now. Uh, those were more, here's an email or, or somebody drops me a message or somebody gives me a call and I think, you know, that's kind of, hey, there's this project we want to do and that's how it kind of starts. Uh, there's not really a formal, let's think about this thing. It's all been like sorted. Uh, can you, we execute on this? Um, which is kind of nice. I like working in that way where we can recognize this is something worth a conversation. So let's put together uh, a strategy what kind of team are we going to need what's the the scope of it what kind of skill set because uh, there's a lot lot involved in that especially when it comes to uh, something more greenfield um, right. compared to like an established product that you're just continually maintaining uh, indefinitely cool when you mentioned about the bank as in you used to work at a co-op bank yeah exactly um i used to work at the co-op bank um okay. it was a year ago a little bit more than a year ago cool can you tell us one thing that you're currently working on right now? Uh, yeah, so like what I'm working on now, uh, I've been working on it since it was April um, of this year. Is It's essentially a backstage tool. So you've got, uh, if you think about the rental, renting process, uh, right. from, let's say from, from yourself, if you're trying to rent a place, you, you see a place on right move or whatever portal uh, that you can see it you apply for it and you get some paperwork through and you say, okay, can we arrange a viewing? So there's things like arranging the viewing and then there's uh, saying, okay, I want to take this forward. How do I apply for 
moving into this place and then you've got to pass over uh, pay slips and documents, right to live, um, other documents mm-hmm. like that. You'll get contracts going back and forth. There's all of this this kind of stuff that happens. And there are a few tools that try and unify that. Um, right. But they're not very good. <laughs> the tools okay. are, all, all, are, are all pretty. Uh, they're all crap. Uh, long story short. So what I'm working on now is providing a tool that hooks into the rest of the experience we've already got uh, in terms of owning the whole end-to-end process and really helping um, the the partners who own uh, a set of properties, the agents who are managing a set of properties and, and, and having to manage the process of people applying and doing all of that. How do we make that easier? How do we provide something where uh, people can get visibility of that process so you're not just working with oh here's a checklist of stuff that you can tick off and you've got to do by paper and file it away on google drive or or whatever kind of network share you might have uh, how do we make that visible and tangible and really say right like you know, these are all the steps that happen uh, across that process everyone has to do that everyone needs a, a an energy certificate document to prove that the the home is valid to rent out and that the person moving in has a safety knowing it's been checked uh, so all of those it's it's a tool really to support all of those backstage processes and really really provide that back and forth rather than oh here's some email or here's a here's a terrible system that was made like 30 years ago <laughs> and no one knows how to use anymore that actually sounds like a super complex project and uh, what is your role in this project uh, my role is as a as a tech lead and and looking after uh, that as a whole. So really, um, I say it goes from the two ends of the spectrum of, okay, we're here day to day and trying to build stuff. So I'll, I'll build things where I can work with the bandwidth, but a lot of it is to support the team and making sure we're building things in the right way, making sure we, we hit the standards, making sure we have a set of standards we agree to uh, mm-hmm. if, the, if we decide those change as the, the skill of the team uh, goes up over time, whether we feel that actually this technique's easier to use. And the other end of the spectrum is trying to get that foresight and to look ahead to say, okay, product-wise, we're thinking about these different features or this, these parts of the process we want to support. We're doing some investigations and thinking, is there a way we could productize this? And, and looking ahead to say, right, what are the roadblocks that are really going to stop us? What are the things that we're going to need to do now so that in three months' time, we can actually achieve that and we can do it. We're not going to get to three months later and say, oh, well, we really needed to build these things slightly differently, or we needed to re-architect this part of the system, or we need to get in this third party. Now we know we need to get this third party in instead of um, doing it ourselves, for example. So it's really those two ends of the spectrum that, right, let's, let's look ahead, make sure we've got all the right things in place uh, for the roadmap that we're building and we've got and we develop, but also breaking that down and, and working with everybody to make sure we're trying to get a nice, consistent yes. uh, pipeline going, make sure that everything looks slick, make sure everything is well-tested, make sure we've got the right test coverage and, and make sure we're, you know, for my, well, I, I really enjoy looking after as well as making sure we're, we're we're really working 
against a design system, against a design system, or with a design system, should I say? That's brilliant. I mean, I normally ask, what is the approach that you take from start to finish on a project? And you being in tech lead role, which is quite different, so you're part of the the build and the delivery journey. What does that look like, start to finish? How does the designs get passed over to your team, and what does that approach look like? If you know what I mean? Yeah. So I guess I can. I can I can probably outline something from let's say a feature uh, perspective, and I could say here's a feature. You know, it's gone through product, it's gone through discovery, it's gone through the design phase, it's already been through critique. So that's where uh, the you know in the design process you might have gone through the whole shebang, done the revisions. How does that yeah. now get turned into reality? Um, so what I would do is I think we're getting better at it now as well as looking at things um, earlier in that process and and just eyeballing it and seeing okay technically speaking can we get this piece of data how is that going to be saved what other services do we need to integrate into do we need to build something else uh, to support this feature and just making sure that all of those things are accounted for from a high level uh, once those are fine uh, and we're okay with that we think we've spotted everything what we'll do is we'll, we'll go take that into refinement so set up a process. Uh, I'm sure a lot of other people use that as well, whether you call it refinement, backlog grooming, whatever it is. Some of the yeah. people call it story time to take a feature and try and make sure that we've got myself, we've got uh, at least a few engineers. And then it depends. Sometimes we'll get um, you know product manager involved. Sometimes they don't need to be because all the details are on the card. Uh, sometimes designer will be involved, but sometimes not as well really depends on the feature to really look at something and break it down. So one of the approaches that you take is to look at it from front to back to say, right, what are the things we need to build um, in order to actually achieve the, the UI as, as described? Let's think about how we can break that down. So really taking a design systems approach is really to say what we would do now is, right, which components do we have that, can, that are already built which things do we need to create specifically for this feature? Once we figure that out, you know, it could be an email as well. We might have to do some work there. And those become either subtasks or a checklist against that story is to do the, the, the backend work, if you like, and saying, okay, what endpoints will we need to create? What services do we need to create? What kind of integrations? So really working to, to really break it down in a very systematic way and really link into all the goodness of design system, all the goodness of architecting things right and using you know RESTful APIs, for example. Um, and once that's all spec'd out, we've got all the subtasks together uh, for a feature. We've got at least a couple of devs who have seen that, uh, have got enough details and are clear on, on what we're doing. And then we'll take that forward and, and put it into build. So the process is very much, we'll do that. Um, we've got a nice uh, process now where some things we might do um, a design check. So what we what we do for every feature is that once you've broken it down and you've built it, you'll do a product check to ensure that what has been designed and how we wanted the product to work, uh, it actually reflects what's written in the card and what's what was um, what was shown in the Figma and make sure that all of those match up and, and demo the feature working end to end. In between, especially if it's a larger feature, we might do design checks. That's where we'll either 
share screenshots, we'll share a video and, and just share that progress earlier. Because I think really when it comes to, that's the whole reason you do uh, Agile and Scrum and Sprints is to not to do waterfall and like build it all in one go then push it out mm -hmm. is to build pieces of it. And then internally, we're going to, we're going to check ourselves and evaluate and say, cool, how is it going? Are we matching the designs? So really building in those checkpoints into the process to say, does it look the way we intended? Are there any issues we're getting in uh, you know, during build time? Because you're not going to foresee everything. Um, yeah. there's, there's always going to be something that comes up. So you'll, uh, you know, raise those as and when as they arise, get those checkpoints done throughout uh, the whole build process, make sure there's a product check at the end, that everything all flows together. Uh, once all that's hunky-dory, then you make sure that you've got your, your, your test suite, uh, captures everything, make sure that you don't get any regressions, make sure it's all, all put together. And then it just goes through the normal process of CICD. So if you're not aware, continuous integration, continuous deployment, just publishing stuff and releasing it and iterating, uh, yeah, releasing it early um, and releasing it sooner. Fantastic. That's a really in-depth step-by-step process. It's really, really good to see how the whole, you know, principles taken in place. And you mentioned about refinement. That's what we call it as well at Costa Coffee. It's just music to my ears, really. You mentioned about being in an agile environment, lean, going through sprints, whether it's um, the design sprint and trying to avoid the waterfall effect. And that's how most companies should really progress to just keep testing, learning, you know, getting feedback without worrying about failing and learning from failure. So it's, it's super exciting how you've uh, gone through all that in a nutshell. I'm hoping listeners will be able to get a lot out of what you said from that process and apply it to their day-to-day -day work, really. And I think it's quite nice to transition from that then. So once the project goes live, how do you measure success and validate your um, decisions? The smiley face dashboard. No, there's no <laughs> dashboard. Uh, it's a really good question to like see like how does it work? I think like there's so many different ways to do it and some things you might have um you know some metrics that you're looking for so you might say you know from a product point of view we've already got these uh, either these key results that we've got or whether you might have a, a set of um metrics already and, and do some intelligence on which parts of the products are being used where do you get churn where do you get drop off which things are people using what's the uptake uh, and that's how you can really kind of get like a, a high level look at whether the stuff you're building is actually making a difference and really you working with your OKRs and if people haven't heard that before objectives key results really really working against a, a set of uh well, other people might see from syndicators just some stuff that feels like they indicate success I think that needs to be balanced up with actually doing some qualitative insights and, and really looking at okay if that's going up and the that the uptake is improving or we're seeing um, the feedback and the metrics that we're getting, which is nice that it can happen without really doing too much. You just need to check um, the results of the data that you're getting in. It's nice to actually spend some time to get that qualitative feedback and say, okay, we can see it's working. Do people enjoy it? Where do people stick? Because both of those types of data, both of those types of insight are really going to give you the full picture and I think it really it really depends on the size of the feature how important it is or or whether 
uh, it's something that's just expected. Like, I'm not going to do any insight on a logout button unless we've made a really stupid design choice and taken <laughs> it, like, six layers deep. Uh, yeah. It's not worth it. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, I love how you mentioned OKRs. How do you measure your OKRs, then? Uh, depends on the metric. Depends on, like, what the KR is as well. Mm -hmm. Some of them are... Um, What's a good way? Some are more like, because there's many different ways to write OKRs. So I think like it really depends on what's going to work for you. Uh, there is some ways that feel more natural, some that actually show you that something actually is happening. Uh, so that's really key. Some of them might be literally this thing actually happened where it never happened before. So that might be something you're looking for that uh, actually it's a great success if you're able to do that. Sometimes you might say, okay, we've got a baseline of metrics of um, I don't know, taking copies and as an example, saying, right, here's a store, we've got a barista and uh, an espresso machine. We can see that there's 10% of people that actually use the machine. Actually, we want to increase that. We want more people to uh, to take up the usage of the machines comparatively. Mm -hmm. So you might say, right, I want to see an increase of, of 5%. And that's got to be backed up by some reasonable justifications where in your OKRs, you might not actually say it, but you and your team need to understand uh, that there's a justification for that. We're not kind of pulling a number out for the sake of it. It's okay. We've increased it 50%, which is great because we can get so-and-so out of using the machines. Or, you know, we, we know that we want to reduce people's working hours and give them more break time at stores, for example. Um, so understanding that context, that context can really help and there's many different ways to measure it absolutely yeah so in the past the way how i did that my last last place was uh, i worked quite closely with the, the product owner in my squad and we would sit down together to write the well the krs whereas the the objectives is passed down from the stakeholders we would sit together to write out how we can tackle the objectives and then we would pass that to the rest of the squad and then iterate it and then that's that's where we start to map a lot of stuff lots of workshops around that what does the process look like for your team at the moment uh, okay so it's very similar definitely like you have to work with your product owner your product manager whoever it is because really mm -hmm. they you know they own that and it's really important that uh, the designer and the tech lead also are involved in that process to understand. I think for, for us, the way that we've done it, you know, we've been doing it for a year now, um, setting OKRs and working towards them. And the, the process very much works where we'll, we'll get an idea where there's some company level OKRs that we know we want to hit. And then those influence and trickle down into what the objectives are for the team. So those there's some flex in terms of what those are but the generally the the pretty clear already by the time i get involved in those um mm -hmm. and it's just a case of understanding the context nuance and linking that up once those are okay then is pretty similar to to what you described before setting up a workshop getting the whole team together and saying right let's, let's come up with some stuff let's do uh i mean what i like to do is just do the a lot of the you know design you know, all the workshopping kind of exercises you might do where you might say, right, let's ideate, let's, let's you know, get the context loaded into our head, do some ideation, write down loads of ideas, do a note and vote and say, right, we created all these ideas of what things we could measure. Uh, let's do a vote, group them together, and really try to whittle that down, really doing that 
you know, divergent, convergent thinking and getting everyone involved in, in, in producing those, because if you're part of the process, you, uh, I think you feel more involved and I think like you can understand it more rather than, okay, here's a metric go. It's like, okay, why? Yeah. Yeah. That's nicely put. I think it's really interesting how you walked us through, you know, the whole process, which is really interesting. Aside from that, then what's the most challenging part of your role? everything (laughs) i bet yeah i don't know it's it's hard to pick one i think there's a lot of different challenges and some may feel more challenging than others depending on your mood depending on what you've done before whether you've managed to take a break and you know have a good a good balance of your energy um i think one of the hardest things is I think from from lead dev training, my it's probably going to be working with unfavorable feedback and and really being patient. So by unfavorable feedback in other places, you might say, okay, this is this is feedback, this is negative feedback, but you've also got positive feedback. You know, something I've learned is that really you've got to give a good dosage of here's some positive feedback. These are things you're doing well, or this was really nice. I'm I'm really glad to see that you did this. Uh, there's also the the unfavorable or the negative side to say here here are things that you're doing that aren't helping you, things that will either make your life more difficult, make the team's life more difficult, or just plain really we shouldn't be doing that. So really working to instill those habits and really be patient to build up that change. It does take a lot of time. It takes a lot of patience. Kind of like. Um, uh, I'm hesitating to say it. It's kind of like training a dog. Um, it's not to say that, you know, people I work with, they're just dogs and you're training them. I think, you know, that's simply not the case, but it's the easiest example to, to work with, to say, okay, here are habits we need to form. And dogs learn tricks and they learn behaviors through habits and continued exposure. So really being able to pick up on habits that we have, bad habits that are not helping us and uh, make life difficult or just make it yeah they just put in the habits that don't really help you or your career or the team etc how do we help train ourselves out of that and you might have a lot of introspection to do it yourself but trying to help work with others uh to do that you know it's fascinating and satisfying when 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 it does work and when when you are able to to get on the same page but it's not easy. They're, they're always hard conversations, some harder than others to say something's not working well here. Um, and really, I'm here to help. I'm here to help you be a better version of yourself if you if you want to be. Fantastic. Yeah, I just think that it makes a lot of sense in terms of trying to be patient. And one of the things I was going to ask you as well is that how do you respond or cope with unfavorable feedback? I... Uh, slam the laptop and throw it out the window that's exactly what i need to hear (laughs) hell yeah uh i think it depends (laughs) i mean yeah really like uh what's the book another popular book radical candor in terms of like right you know feedback has to be direct but caring um especially Mm -hmm. when it's something that really needs working on sometimes you can be a bit more subtle but you can't just leave things until the last minute um, so when receiving that, it really, if assuming that you're you have someone that's giving you direct and caring feedback, and and you've built up that trust with the other person, 
then it's not too bad. It's it's sometimes it's nice to take a step back and, and really reflect on whether I noticed that thing before and said, okay, you know, did I notice I was doing this thing? Um, and did I know, did I, did I realize that this isn't helping? Um, so that's kind of one step uh, to have and really take a break. I think sometimes it's good to, well, I think it's always good to take a step back and sit on it and just, you know, let that thought sink in and see, have I actually been doing that? And and it can be difficult. Some things you, you may choose to act on uh, and may be good. Some things you, you may have to take that judgment call of actually, it's not a common thing. It was a one-off. Um, I know why I either behaved in that way, reacted that way, or took that decision. Um, so that can be interesting mm-hmm. as well. And really separating. I think the last thing is whether this is a, a behavior that's not helping or whether this was just a decision that didn't work out. I think some, you know, sometimes you might receive feedback, but that's down to a decision that you made. And how do you, how, how can you say, oh, this is a, uh, you know, th- this is a, an unfavorable behavior, an unfavorable thing, you know, that you've done. It's, it's not the same as making a, a poor decision or making a decision that didn't get the result that you wanted. So it's important to, to recognize that actually sometimes it's just a decision. We made the best thing, you know, decision we, we could make at the time with what we knew and that's fine. So sometimes other feedback you just may yeah, you may hear it, let it sink in, but maybe not take it to heart uh, and not need to do anything about it. It's good to be aware. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially when you mentioned about, you know, following Radical Candor. To the listeners who's not read the book, get on it because it's quite inspiring, isn't it? Yeah. Get the book, sit on it, uh, absorb it um, that way. <laughs> read with your butt. <laughs> exactly that. So moving on to other projects you're working on in your spare time. Do you have any ongoing projects that you've got on currently? Mm, not so much. I think I like to try and make sure that there's a, you know, the work that you do is engaging. Work that you do is, is good for the brain, uh, etc. And then outside of work, the only thing I really want to do is um, the, the Figma blogs I mentioned before around mm. prototyping techniques that I've done, write those up. So I haven't done that so regularly, really this year so it's something i do want to pick up uh again moving forward so i've got a few a few things in the backlog um that i can work on so really that's probably the the biggest project really that i've got um that i work on in my as my personal project if you like otherwise it's just personal interests playing video games watching netflix taking a chill pill Nice. Exactly that, right? You've just mentioned about you write Figma tutorials on Medium. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Uh, yeah, I think uh, basically I doubled down on, I was just writing a lot of different things around UX and just trying to see what kind of formulas I wanted to write about, articulate my thoughts, uh, explain why something is good, why something is bad. So what I write on now and double down on was the different techniques that I discovered and, and figured out how to do in Figma that I really wanted to do. But I noticed the more and more designers I got to know, not everybody knew those techniques. Uh, not everyone knew how to fit it together. And they're very common things um, that you might want to do uh, to prototype up. So really a lot of what I write is things like, how do you create anchor links in Figma? 
how do you create a scrollable overlay? So, for example, you go on to a very common, uh, lots of, you know, any generic e-commerce website on mobile, you'll get a little burger menu or drop-down menu and you tap that and then you'll get uh, something that hovers on top of the main website and you can scroll through a list of options on the left or the right, whichever ever one it is. Uh, it sounds simple and like quite a basic interaction, but trying to build that in Figma can be really quite tricky so that it behaves the way you expect uh, in real life. Yeah, that's good to know. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing you write a lot on design systems as well. Is there like one key advice you would give to a, a designer or engineer who is about to start one for a company that they're working for? Yeah, the best piece of advice I could say is it's it's a team effort. Um, nice. You can't do a superstar thing and say, right, I'm going to build everything. I mean, you know, I have the experience of both sides of engineering a design and there's no way I could have, you know, helped to nurture what we've got now to the position where it's at just by myself. A lot of it depends on everyone really having some working understanding and knowing how to use it, knowing the benefits of it. It's, It's a whole team effort. So really get as many people as you can uh, on the design system team quote unquote and get you know get bought in into that process um and really yeah depend on the team depend on the people around you you can't do it yourself it's not possible absolutely collaboration is key right and absolutely yeah good advice okay so moving on where do you go for ux inspiration yeah it's a good question i used to get it more from like books in terms of you know, reading techniques and things people explain and looking at, you know, patterns in real life in terms of how do we explain a concept, explain an idea. Um, And then there's, Mm -hmm. I guess, the UI side of things. That's just using stuff. Uh, A lot of that comes through either, you know, subscribing to some Reddit communities, for example. Uh, And a lot of it is through reading UX Collective as well on Medium. There's there's a really good curation of different things that, you know, help me think, help me look at things uh, a little bit differently, see what people are up to uh, when they're trying to, you know, take the industry forward, trying to, you know, and see what people are cooking up. Fantastic. It sounds like I need to uh, spend more time on Medium. Yeah, potentially. Or just, you can do what I do, and I read the 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 newsletter headlines. And I don't read so many articles. I don't sit there and read, like, 10 articles a day i'll just say oh this is a uh, something somebody's working on or here's a concept or or here's a thing uh, or here's a screenshot that someone's done um about something they've, they've put together so that can be really you know for me a light touch without overwhelming myself nice good to know what's your favorite apps for for ux at the moment the boring ones like calendar app like apple okay. calendar app right like super basic but I depend on it a lot and it just works and I prefer it over, I can use Google Calendar okay now. I think I struggled with it a little bit in the beginning, just like that difference. But, you know, it, it helps to organize life and figure out when I need to do things. And yeah, it just works well. It it helps me get about my day, it helps me remember. That's brilliant. That's a really interesting take and I can totally relate. It's the apps that you use religiously, you don't think about and which basically guides your day, right? Yeah. 
absolutely. Yeah. Is there any of the like, apps that you use? I mean, there's apps that you kind of have to use, like your parking app if you want to park somewhere. Yeah, generally, it's it's kind of like productivity apps. I'll, you know, Spotify is on the phone as well. So mm-hmm. I use that a lot if I want to, you know, set the music before I'm going to do a workout, for example. But yeah, to be honest, like not so many. I think I think in the past I, I might download lots of different games or, or try different apps. But really, like unless I need it, unless it's something that's essential to, you know, my daily routines in terms of, you know, either either planning trips, getting around, remembering stuff using things like the notes app and using all the defaults. Um, yeah. I try not to do use so many different things. Makes sense. So yeah, it's just the little things that you use so much, you just don't really think about it. Yeah, exactly. I think like, well, for me, that's good UX. It's, I did the thing I wanted to do. I wasn't like, ooh, this app is cool. I was just like, I did what I needed. I didn't even think about it. That's success. Yeah, fantastic. What do you think will be the biggest trends in future web development? Ah, so this is an interesting one. And I think like, you know, it's very easy to say, okay, you know, maybe there's like visual patterns, for example, where everything was skeuomorphic and it went to like flat UI. If you've seen like the Pringles can uh, lately, Pringles like crisps, they've gone from like a 3D thing to a very flat logo design. Uh, but what I really think is going to happen, like, you know, other people might say, oh, it's VR, but, you know, no one wants to sit around for hours with these big fat goggles on your face. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's cool to use type to time, but it's, you know, there's something about it that doesn't feel easy to use, accessible, that it's just right there. I think, like, over the last couple of years, a lot of people have, you know, recognized, like, mental health and your well-being. They're, these things are really important. Um for people and something i noticed when uh because i lost power and wi-fi for two days nearly well i lost power and energy and wi-fi for two days and i didn't have wi-fi or internet for for three days or so um, during this yoga trip i went on and just the the change in where my mind was at how focused i was the the passage of time was really different and i think that's down to notifications and how our apps and how technology uh, is is seeking our attention and saying, "Hey, listen to me. Hey, look at this," and and so I think really moving forward, I think a lot of people, a lot of developers, a lot of um, apps, a lot of product teams are, you know, really are going to think a bit more about ways to notify, but without being as invasive or really thinking about, okay, maybe these aren't quote unquote dark patterns. These are things that, you know, really affect how someone interprets something, how somebody feels about using your product um, and how it makes you feel about your day. We don't realize what, um, well, for me, I don't think we realize how much notifications affect us. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. I mean, when you got stranded at the yoga trip you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, without no power, no Wi-Fi, how did you cope? Mm, at first, it was a little bit tricky. Um I think, you know, ignoring the I can't charge stuff, I can't um, have a hot shower, for example. Right. I think uh, I was finding myself checking my phone for the first probably 8 to 12 hours, just going, oh, is this something new? Just out of habit. Um, I did replace it with um, a game that I downloaded before, just out mindlessly, just to, like, kill some time, but 
um, when I did that, I didn't feel great. Um, so in terms of coping, it's just make just, you know, spending more time resting uh, and just being uh, and, you know, sleeping, which is what I needed, resting, which is what I needed. And then just focusing on the company and things around you. Yes, I think, you know, we've lost touch with, you know, I might say, oh, board games and reading and just doing stuff and focusing on a task without being hyper-connected to everything. I think that's getting back to basics. It it really, you know, that's how we were designed, that's how humans were made to to work and to, to live, etc. So, um, yeah, it, it feels a bit weird at first, almost like, cutting off caffeine for a bit but actually it's really quite nice i miss the old days of either you're online or you're not you log in and then you'll log off not you're connected all the time and you can receive uh you know you're connected to the world like all the time and it's never switched off such a great answer and i like how you mentioned about notifications uh can be like the biggest problem in our lives and because again, it just feels like it's so embedded in our minds. It's just like a regular thing, right? And I do believe that, that there's there's something in that. It got me thinking, like in terms of the biggest trend, is there a way to you know is is there an app that can potentially turn off notifications? I know Apple does that already, but a different way, if you know what I mean. Yeah, because new isn't always more stuff. Mm. It's it's how we use things, which is UX in a nutshell. Anyway, how do we use it? How do we get stuff done? Absolutely. More efficient as well. Exactly. Or less efficient. Depends on on what kind of experience you want to craft, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What does it mean to be a good developer? Uh, It's a good question. It's down to... It's taking pride in your work and and problem solving. Um, Really kind of looking at something and saying, okay, I think a really good thing, you know, especially if you're early in your dev career, is actually write code twice. First is to get it working and just saying, right, this this thing fits together and it works. And then the second time to write is to make sure that actually now this is good code. It's succinct. It's uh, testable. It's maintainable. Other people understand it uh, and I can work with it. So kind of really looking at a problem, dissecting it down into manageable chunks uh, and then just being OK with, OK, we, we write it twice. And, and we stick to principles uh, and well-known kind of concepts and ways of building that other people understand because it's a collaborative effort. Mm-hmm. And yet to see that developers also need to understand the UX principles to become better developers, right? As yeah, you said. Absolutely. What about for UX designer? Yeah. So for UX designer, really, it's about taking pride in your work and, and it's about problem solving. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in a very different way. So kind of, Engineering is about, right, I know what I need it to do. How do I make it do it? Uh, UX is around saying, right, what do people need to do? I need to figure that out. Um, And a lot of that is kind of like a lot of problem solving and matching that with, uh, you know, uh, curiosity, uh, an intense, like, fascination with what's the thing people are trying to do and, like, how do I really make that work? I think if if I break it down and abstract it, it's, Here's a task and here are things that people are doing. Um, UX is figuring out what UI components, what interaction patterns do I need to put together and assemble in order to express that? And it's like a really big jigsaw puzzle. So that's why it's like um, 
Well, that's why it's problem solving, because here's a problem. We need someone to be able to do thing and like, you know, working on, on the, the left side and saying, okay, we need, we need to figure out what's the task people need to do. Do they really need to do that? Is there a way we can turn that into software? And then looking at the different puzzle pieces that you have uh, from a UI point of view and assembling that into something, being like you can be a fantastic UXer without having any UI skills, um, simply because you understand that here are patterns and here are puzzle pieces I've got. What arrangement do I need in what order with what uh, writing do I need in order to really help somebody uh, achieve the task uh, that we want them to do? So it's still problem solving, just in a very different way. Love that. Again, great advice. Um, I like how you mentioned specifically around the jigsaw puzzles and the interactions and even transitions as well, because these two things can be easily forgotten at times when you're designing as a designer. So yeah, I think it's really, uh, really crucial to think like that as well from that perspective. So there you go. I hope the listeners can take both advice away and apply it in your everyday lives, right? Yeah, absolutely. So next time you go to McDonald's, you can think about how do I transition from window two to window three to pay for my order? Uh, Things like that. Yeah. And how would you do that? Um, Foot on the gas or if I'm on a bike, pedal or if I'm walking, make brum brum sounds and you can carry through. And make sure you've got your card ready. <laughs> it sounds like there's going to be lots of storyboarding scenarios you're going to be doing. Yeah, exactly. Like there's so many ways you can like move from like one one to the other because you could even like back out if you wanted and reverse all the way around. So yeah. we know that you know you're going to use more fuel and maybe it's like uh, if people are behind you, it's not going to work. But storyboarding yeah. it out really helps you look at the problem from from a high level. And, and look at look at uh, what pieces are going to work. How do we resolve that uh, issue? Yeah, you, you can even cartwheel to the next window, you know. Yeah, exactly. The world's your oyster, really. Yeah, burn a few extra calories and then you can get <laughs> an ice cream. <laughs> exactly. So moving on, what are your favorite tools at the moment? Ah, favorite tools, like in general or? In general, yeah. Ah, well let's start off with get things done at work yeah to get things done i think myro is a big one i think a lot of people okay have really like taken to myro and that i still use it for uh, quite a lot time to time uh but really like it comes and goes in waves or like my personal stuff but for work stuff as well it's for work stuff really is, is really crucial it's it's the the thinking board that is shared and really nice. helps that collaboration uh to say here's the thinking what do you think let's interact with the thoughts together um maybe like when it comes to the personal side i think i rely more on like an ipad and an apple pencil like it sounds a bit lame uh felt a bit weird at first but it's really nice to be able to to jot down my thoughts and to to be able to not have to do the erasing and do it like you would do on a piece of paper i can i can tweak uh, what I've written, I can move it a different way. Uh, I can express things like mind maps and do that with a pencil in a way that you can do it on Miro now, I think, and other web tools. But I think doing it by hand is just something different about how you you think about something and how you process it just through the act of writing it out. 
that's good to hear. I'm definitely getting one. Lots of people have recommended it to me. I'm guessing another thing is Figma, right? As you mentioned, you write a lot about Figma, so I'm sure that's on top of your list. Yeah, absolutely. I, think, like, I don't use it as much um, lately. Uh, I do miss it. Um, but that's the thing. It's That's due to your role, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's down to the role that it's, it's not a core responsibility. Uh, I still get to dabble time to time, but not to the extent I used to. Mm-hmm. Cool. What is one key piece of advice would you give for a UX and a developer? Well, if we start off with just a UX designer. Uh, oh, good question. I think like, I think for a UXer, really, it's taking a step back. I think it can be very easy to get uh, tunnel vision. It can be very easy to um, really fall in love with a single idea. Uh, so taking a step back and saying, is there another way? Um, and really relying on the team. Like, to be a good designer, you have to share. You have to share, share, share. There's no other Absolutely. way. Absolutely. What about for a developer? I think just practice and really, like, really get down to the nitty gritty. So where, like, you know, the strength of a of a good designer is in how you collaborate and share and work together with the team. As a developer, um, if you want to write good stuff and if you want it to work and to be robust, you really need to understand intimately the the framework that you're that you're working with, how it works with the machine that you've got. And, and kind of just being curious about, okay, so if I do X, what happens to Y? So we might see, okay, it's abstracted it and this happens, but how does it work under the hood? How does it maybe not to the extent of translate down to bytecode, but as long as you have a working understanding that it does do that thing, it translates down to bytecode uh, and these things happen, you can then really take advantage of it and, and you can write code to express things and to do things that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise yeah fantastic key word what you said there is curious that makes perfect sense and just going back as a designer like always sharing that touch base on what we discussed about earlier around collaboration as well as communication right um, yeah yeah these two sort of you know set of skills are super crucial to become a, a great ux designer yeah absolutely nice where can we find your work and connect with you yeah so Two places. I mean, the easiest one is chuckwired.com. Um, and you can like find most of the links and stuff there. There's LinkedIn, obviously. That's also chuckwired. Uh, a lot of stuff, if you want to find Medium, that's going to be, you guessed it, chuckwired.medium.com. <laughs> Beat me to it. Yeah. <laughs> You're thinking. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Do feel free to reach out to Chuck if you have any questions. Moving on to the last question. Again, I'm, I'm curious about this one. Since being in both UX and tech, which area do you prefer being in? Mm, it's, it's a good question. I think like uh, both have their pros and cons. Both have, you know, their, their good points and, and some of their like, you know, more challenging points of, of the role. I think for me, knowing who I am, really, it's, I think if I could pick, it's down to being a, a designer if I could. Um, because I think that's, yeah, that's where you're really thinking about a problem, really have that curiosity. So I know how I like to think. I know how I like to to approach mm-hmm. something and say, right, there's, um, what's the word? Yeah, it's just having that curiosity and being able to chase those different things, you know, mm-hmm. um, as, as a designer. And you can express and think quite 
quickly, really, when working with a tool like Figma and doing the prototyping. When it comes to engineering, I think, you know, that I think it's quite good, but I don't enjoy that as much, even though, especially in some frameworks and some languages, you can really express how you want to solve uh, a, a computational problem, uh, a logic problem. Mm -hmm. it's a great way to put it is there any chance to going back into designing in the near future yeah i think there's like a, a pretty strong chance i'd probably say it's about a hundred percent chance <laughs> that's yeah. what i like to hear yeah wicked thank you very much Joe, for an awesome session very inspiring and it just shows how passionate you are with all the things you're doing I have said before that good designers should know the basics of coding in order to, to understand how design goes into build and most importantly to have that good working relationships with engineers and that empathy. So it's incredible that you are able to switch minds from coding to, to design perspective on a regular basis and at a high level. So credit to you for being able to provide both sets of skills to any organization. Keep smashing it and keep inspiring the community, mate. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for, for the time, the discussion. I think some really like interesting questions here and hopefully it's really, you know, we talk about it all the time, don't we? Um, and get into the nitty gritty. So it's nice to, you know, hopefully one person out there can, can listen and either be inspired or exactly like you say, to be a good designer, learn just a little bit of code. If you're a coder, learn just a little bit of design because the key, the magic is collaboration and empathy understanding each other 100 percent, absolutely cheers Chuck. thank you for your time and i shall see you soon thanks simon yeah see you soon thanks a bunch until bye. next time bye for bye. now bye thanks to chuck again for a great session for sharing his experience and knowledge he's very inspiring and super passionate about his work so be sure to follow his work if you have enjoyed the show, I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on all platforms so we can give this show more visibility to inspire more designers, researchers and engineers and so on. Lastly, I'd love to connect with you, so feel free to reach out if you have any other questions as well. Until next month, let's get inspired and stay curious, folks.